This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host for this week's episode, Paul J. Slee, filling in for Kelly's husband, Mike Rappin. I am joined this week by two of my favorite people to talk about comics with, uh, Kate Lamphere. Hi. And Nick White. Hey. Uh, so we are here to talk about comics this week, and um, I am, again, as the fill-in host, contractually obligated to ask the questions that start off every episode of I Read Comic Books. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Nick. Um, things have been pretty good. The, the weather around here has been pretty crazy for the last couple of days, as um, both of you being Michiganders and Southwest <laughs> Southwest Mis- Michiganders know. Yeah. We and, only had one uh, tornado, Nick. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we had a tornado warning. Um, I think uh, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll briefly touch on that a bit more in the second half of the show, I guess. That was a bit of a adventure you know it's sort of been that weather for me where it's like oh no i have to stay inside you know which for me is just not really um (laughs) terrible it's like oh no i have to sit here and read books um or you know play computer games or whatever um it's just been uh nasty and uh yeah so it's just been been me uh, complaining about the weather um, in my old rocking chair. Uh, <laughs> sure, <laughs> you know they 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 say you know when you're young you're like I'll never be like that, and then like thirty years later you're like oh my god I'm my dad, and uh, <laughs> it happens to all of us. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's been me. Um, in terms of what I've been reading, really the book I want to discuss. Um, I've been reading some Moon Knight, but I'll, I'll get to that later. Uh, the book I really want to discuss is called Berserker Unbound. Um, and I just recently read number one. Yes, I'm aware number two is out. I'm a little bit behind. It's uh, written by Jeff Lemire. Pencils by Mike Deodato. Deodato? I would say Deodato. Deodato. That sounds yeah. good. Uh, colors by Frank Martin. Uh, letters by Steve Wands. Um, this is a mini series that they're doing for Dark Horse. Um, I think it was just announced just a few months ago. Uh, and it was a really weird, really weird sort of thing to see, um, Jeff Lemire doing. It just didn't really look like his sort of thing. Um, and it was also him kind of paired up with an artist that we've never really seen him before with. And that's, that's not really a complaint, um, you know, I, I feel in some ways that Lemire kind of has his own uh, posse or whatnot of artists from Matt Kent to Emmy Lennox to Andrea Sorrentino um, that tend to find their way onto most of his work. Uh, and I think as I've talked about this before, um, I, I love most of those people. So that doesn't make me upset when those people are on his books. Um, but I guess one can always grow. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and, and if growing involves Mike Diodato, that's, that's about as good as you can get. Um, especially considering, unless I'm wrong, either Diodato has been in a Marvel contract, um, or, or, um, wasn't in one, but certainly was just busy with Marvel all the time. Um, so to see him outside of Marvel is, is, is nice. Uh, the book conceptually also doesn't seem much like Jeff Lemire. Um, it's not real dialogue heavy. It's not super sentimental. Uh, within this first issue, we're basically following this 
barbarian, I guess berserker, whatever you want to call it, uh, whose name, who, who goes by the Mongrel King, and he's basically Conan. He's an analog for Conan. <laughs> okay. He's big, he's hulking, he's got a sword, longish hair, and he murders people. <laughs> and <laughs> again, like you have this guy who's presumably coming home after murdering other people's families only to find out that his own family has been murdered and um, his entire village has been set ablaze. Mm. And again, like not really one, something Lemire's known for to um, pretty typical fare, right? Like this isn't, yeah. this isn't really reinventing anything here. And, for me, like, I'm giving it the benefit of a doubt because I think Lemire has a real tendency or a knack for subverting people's perceptions of archetypes. Um, especially if you look at something like Black Hammer. Um, and I don't know if you see as much of the subversion in that, but you definitely see Lemire very comfortable with um, and very much at home uh, playing with characters being analogs for other characters and, and and messing around with with archetypes within comics or with within genres you know he's very much at home there and so in that sense i think i'm waiting for lemire to sort of um sort of throw a wrench into the system on this book i mean at the end of the issue Ugh, minor spoilers. I mean, I think this was in the 30-word preview on Solicits, so I don't care. Uh, eventually, he ends up he ends up in a portal, and he gets warped into what, what looks to be New York City. Mm. Um, okay. And so, basically, now it's like Hercules in New York. Um, <laughs> I think that was the movie with Schwarzenegger, right, I think? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, he ends up basically a fish out of water, and that's how the end of issue one is. He ends up getting warped by this weird wizard figure into New York from whatever dimension he was in. And yeah, I'm I'm interested. I'm interested because I think Lemire is going to shift away from our perceptions or whatever comfortable uh, spot we as readers have fallen into. And I'm also really interested because he's only got, I think, three or four more issues to wrap this. So I don't really know okay. where it's going to go. Um, like, is he just going to walk around and harass street vendors or, or something? I, I have, I have no clue. I had no idea. Uh, I mean, beyond that, I, I would say Diodato's art is, is nice. I like it. It does seem more static than when I've seen it in other places. And, and again, we're not talking like Alice, Alex Ross, excuse me, Alex Ross level static. Um, and again, people like that, that's fine. <laughs> um, but like a lot of these pages are just made of three or four stretched out horizontal panels that just don't have any movement to them. Mm-hmm. And I, a lot of it is him just gazing across landscapes and like, I get it. There's not a lot of action going on. There's really no one for him to talk to. So you can't have that back and forth of talking heads and captions. Um, but I think even Lemire feels like this book feels too static because you get, you get Lemire injecting these like artificial panel breaks. You know what I mean? Like you'll have this beautiful horizontal outstretched uh landscape 
and you'll just have these little panel, like white bordered panel cuts in the middle, just thrown into the middle of it, like artificially breaking it up. Yeah. They don't seem to have a reason to be there. And, um, I mean, I, I get that. I'm sure on some level Lemire understands that like the shortcut for the human brain when it comes to comics of portraying time passing or motion passing is to just break things down into panels and people yeah. go, okay, things are now processing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of, I'm not saying Lemire was trying to trick us, but I kind of felt like I saw through the what he was trying to do. Um, mm-hmm. That it's possible he's on like some nth level tier of intellectual prowess and i just didn't get it i'm i'm <laughs> always willing to go with the fault the fail safe answer of i was just too dumb to pick up on whatever's going on sure <laughs> when in doubt uh i'm dumb uh so so that's what i've been reading uh, what about you kate i finally read a book called either an empire volume one eternal glory this is by mike horan pencils and inks by bong tai dazo colors by tim yates and letters by crank with an exclamation mark (laughs) (laughs) um and i read volume or i'm sorry i read issue one for a free comic book day years ago and i and i really liked the premise of it so i've been watching volume one on comiXology since then to go (laughs) on sale any percent but it's a independent book um very small publisher so it's pretty much doesn't go on sale ever so i finally just bought it um, i've got a big girl job now i can afford more expensive comics it's fine <laughs> um and i finally sat, sat down and read this and issue the issue one is pretty much just a fight between airships that centers around like the first mate kind of taking command a little bit Issue two follows this guy to London where he meets with these like super intellectual people with a lot of money and they're doing some kind of expedition for the queen. This is all set like back in the Victorian era. So airships, it's kind of steampunk. And then it turns out we go from it being steampunk to it being steampunk in space. Uh, okay. <laughs> Wait, what? This went to a place I didn't expect at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the design of their spaceship is very cool because it's basically a, a steampunk airship. It all runs on steam. Their oxygen is from all of these gardens that are in this ship. And they are on an, a mission to Mars to look for the last expedition that went to Mars and is missing. So then there's another twist that happens that I that I don't want to spoil, but it goes it this book crosses genres at least like four different genres. And <laughs> so it was it was a very just casting a wide net. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. in space though. <laughs> yeah, that's important. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um so yeah, this went um yeah, this went someplace I didn't expect. It was a great adventure. It was really fun to tag along. I enjoyed the art. Um my only complaint is that there was just a lot of white guys with brown hair, and I didn't even realize that we were following the same guy from issue one into issue two until I went okay. like flipped back through it a little bit. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. So, but there are two ladies that are in like in the crew in the Victorian garn gowns doing like the navigation and and stuff like that. So that was pretty cool. Hmm. That they're just like, yeah, these women, they're great. They're gonna come with us to space. It's sweet. <laughs> so. It's very good. I do recommend I, this book. I, yeah, I, I always I, get panicky when I think that I've started to uh, experience face blindness within reading comics. <laughs> and I'm yeah, like, that's not uncommon. Yeah. Is this a, is this another guy? Is this is this like his brother? Um, yeah. 
they finally started introducing like, oh, this guy's going to have this crazy beard. This guy's going to have really big front teeth. So at some point they started distinguishing <laughs> the, the brunette men. But the first few issues, it was like, oh boy, who is this? <laughs> Thank goodness for easy to draw identifiable features. Yeah. 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 You've got a scar now. You're totally yeah. <laughs> different than that other person. Clearly. Yeah, that's exactly what happened pretty much. Um, what about you, Paul? Um, I've been good. Like Nick mentioned, the weather has been radically changing here in Michigan. It's that weird thing where I, I have to put on a sweater when I take uh, Phyllis for a walk in the morning, but when I leave for work a few hours later, I'm, I'm sweating. So, you know, it's that transitional period uh, weather-wise. Um, that said, there's a good excuse to stay indoors and read a lot of comics. I read Batman Universe numbers two and three. This is the series that Brian Michael Bendis is writing. It's got art by Nick Darrington and colors by Dave Stewart. Um, it was nice to kind of read these back to back because it is such a fun book. Like it's, it's nice to see a, an actually fun, almost lighthearted take on Batman, you know, especially from someone like Brian Michael Bendis. And uh, the premise of this book, I guess, is that Batman is tracking down a magical Fabergé egg that once belonged to Jonah Hex, and that Jonah Hex <laughs> gave to his granddaughter. I already love or it. left this to his granddaughter, and then um, um, the Riddler end up stealing it, and then eventually lands in the hands of Vandal Savage. Um, so Batman's tracking, traveling around the world and across the universe, trying to track down this Fabergé egg, and. I think that's what makes the book so fun is that it is Batman universe. So Brian Michael Bendis is using that as an excuse to include as many different characters and locations as he can. So like in these issues, he is um, teaming up with the green arrow. He's teaming up with the green lantern. Cyborg shows up. Uh, he ends up getting transported to Thanagar and then to Dinosaur Island. So it's just all over the map and it's just so fun and fast paced. I love it, you know, and it's brightly colored. Dave Stewart's colors are like, just, just pop off the page. And I think Nick Darrington is a fantastic Batman artist. He draws a very like lithe, like Adam West physique Batman, it, but it totally makes sense for the story, you know, given the lightheartedness of it. And the, his action sequences are just expertly paced. He has a very like, clean, almost silver age type line to his work that really fits the tone of the, the book a lot. So if you're like me and you love the uh, Batman Brave and the Bold team up books that Bob Haney and Jim Aparo did, this is a more self-conscious version of that stuff. And it's a lot of fun. So I highly recommend it. I'm having a blast with this, this title. Yeah. For me, Darrington seems just like such a good artist to put on a book like that. And, and much like you mentioned, um, the Adam West era when I, um, yeah, when I saw some of the cover art for that, I was like, oh, geez, this does kind of, it evokes a tone I haven't really seen since, like, the Batman 66 comic, in a way. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. the scope and scale feels a bit more like um, Batman Inc. Mm -hmm. in sure. some ways, which, yeah. like, I'm I'm on board for that, too. Um, the only, like, real, really weird name you mentioned there is, like... I don't know, like, I'm sorry, guys. Like, Bendis writing Batman <laughs> is still really weird to me you know i had that initial uh hesitation with it but it is such a different take on batman that it works i mean it's not a different take on, we've seen a lighthearted batman before i mean it's it's not unique but uh bendis's dialogue like his 
the way that he does the dialogue actually works in a more lighthearted sense. You know, when mm-hmm. he does like a serious book and it's that dialogue heavy, a lot of quips back and forth, that never lands for me. But here you have Batman kind of joking with the Green Lantern and the Green Arrow and it, it works. Like it reminds me of the Brave and the Bold cartoon even, you know, when the those interactions were, those characters were so sort of lighthearted, but Batman still felt like Batman. You know what I mean? Right. Man, a yeah, few absolutely. words, you know, just... So I... I, I Bendis is a writer that it's like book to book. Either I think it's great or it doesn't work for me. And luckily this one works for me. So, yeah. Um, uh, And on top of that, I've been more or less mainlining Judge Dredd comics for the past few months. Um, I've been reading through the big uh, Complete Case Files collections. So for everyone that doesn't know, I guess Judge Dredd is published in a weekly uh, anthology title called 2000 AD in England. And then uh, so each chapter of Judge Dredd, each part, part is only like five or six pages because it's a weekly you know, st- strip, basically. And then what 2008 has done, they've collected a year's worth of strips into these case file collections. So you can start with complete case files number one would be the first year's worth of Dredd stories and just follow all the way through the history of it chronologically. So I just finished case files volume four. Um, so that's basically four years worth of Dredd, Judge Dredd stories right from the beginning, from the late 70s. Um, and it's really great stuff. Like I really like that sort of pacing that the weekly strip gives the the book. You know, it makes for a very different reading experience as opposed to the twenty page American style comic book. You know, so this is written by John Wagner and Alan Grant. They write most of it. It's got a bunch of different artists on it, including Brian Boland, who has one story in here. Uh, but most of it's done by Mike McMahon, Ron Smith, and there's a young Steve Dillon shows up in this volume who does uh, a pretty interesting Brian Boland sort of pastiche in his uh, debut Dread story, but. Something about the the way that reading this stuff chronologically works is that you get to see John Wagner, who created Judge Dredd, figure out what type of Dredd stories work best. You know, so by the time you get to volume four, he's kind of realized that the hook of the book isn't that Judge Dredd is just a future cop, you know, in a in a far flung post apocalyptic future. He's a fascist. Uh, and the city that he's patrolling, Mega City One, is a city populated by complete idiots. But everything is illegal, so they're constantly breaking the law. And like that type of dynamic between Dread as a character and Mega City One as a place is what makes the strip interesting to me and makes it worth reading, you know, three hundred page volumes of the stuff, you know, as fast as I can. So I'm enjoying the hell of it. I've actually already read complete case files number five. That was the first Judge Dread stuff I've read. But I'm pretty excited to get to that volume having read the first four leading up to it. And what's interesting is that in volume four um, you get a story that explicitly sets up uh, the Apocalypse War, which is in Volume 5. So to see that stuff kind of coming shape, taking shape where John Wagner and Alan Grant as the writers are able to say like, hey, here's an idea we had. We can spin this into a bigger story a few you know months down the road and seeing them lay down the bricks to these bigger stories. Like it, 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 I, I feel like I'm like just so, uh, engaged with this stuff. I just can't, when I finish one of the complete case files volumes, I can't, wait to start the next one. Like I'm just, I've got judge dread on the brain. He's taken over my brain. <laughs> so I feel like mainlining dread would be punishable by 10 years in the ISO cubes. So yeah. <laughs> if that's the case, I'll take I think the punishment. You'd be lucky so. if it was just 10 years. Um, <laughs> yeah. If, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I think like littering, like puts you in the pen for like 20 or something like that. So, uh, <laughs> They're um, harsh, par- harsh punishments. In harsh but fair. Uh, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> what was what was the inciting force for you, Paul? I, I oh. know that you know yeah. 
you maybe grew um, I mean what am I mean maybe you you grew up around the time of the the first Judge Dredd movie was it was it that or was it um because um, I mean Judge certainly Dredd's- you weren't reading this as a kid Right. What's interesting is Judge Dredd is one of those characters I feel like most people recognize. Like, he's kind of an iconic character, but he's not, like, that well-known. You know what I mean? Like, you mm-hmm. recognize Judge Dredd, but I don't know people, thought people that I know at least haven't read a lot of the stuff. And I think one of the issues is that, you know, 2000 is kind of a weekly comic. It's tough to get your hands on in the States because it's expensive to import the, the magazine. You know what I mean? It's kind of tough to jump in because uh, if you jump in, yeah. you're getting, you know, random chapters of stories that are already happening. Well, I think people also aren't aware that one of the unique features of of um, at least that strip is that um, it's never reset. Correct. Right. It's been Judge going Dredd on for ages in real time as the comic ages. Right. So the first Judge Dredd story is set in the year two thousand ninety nine, and then the current Judge Dredd stories are happening. You know, forty plus years down the road. You know, the, everything that's been everything that's happened in the Judge Dredd stories. It's never been like undone. Like it's 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 aged the character in the city as it's going on. So it's kind of interesting to, especially reading this early stuff, to see even by the year four they've started to establish a continuity and a mythology and you know callbacks to previous stories that early on you know in the strip. So, but my actually so your first question, my impetus to start reading the stuff, like I mentioned, I've read some Judge Dredd stuff in the past, but I wanted to start from the beginning because uh, the Wait What podcast. The excellent Wait What podcast. They do a series called Drock, which are episodes where they are reading these volumes, you know, month to month. So you can hop on these Drock episodes and they'll discuss, you know, one case file per month on the podcast. And those guys do such a great job of getting in depth into the history of the strip and the history of Dread as a character and as a, uh, you know, prod- as a um, um, property. Uh, the creative teams behind each story like it's a really engrossing uh podcast which makes me excited to read the next volume to hear what they're going to say about it so that's kind of been my impetus to kind of read this stuff i am way behind they're on like uh volume eight at this point and i just finished volume four so i got to catch up but that's kind of been why i've been reading the stuff but it is so engrossing and so different from the most of the comics i read that it's been a really enjoyable trip so far i am I think at this point there must be at least 35 case volumes that they've published. So I don't know if I'll make it through all 35 of them, um, but we'll see. I'm down for it. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if they've technically collected all of it up to that point. Um, yeah. I think that's probably what it would end up being. <laughs> I don't right. know if they've actually done oh, it. I think they're, yeah, I think they, I think they're a couple years behind where the ship is right now, but they're still publishing case files. So. Yep. It's so interesting and, and weird to read something that has, like, a weekly pacing to it. You know what I mean? That's operating yeah. on a weekly work schedule that it's, uh, you know, being doled out in such a fashion. Because um, I don't know much of any other uh, comic book sort of thing out there that, that works on that sort of schedule. You'd probably have to be getting into web comics to see people turning yeah. out content on that sort of um, that sort of a schedule. Yeah, I mean, and um, what's amazing about it is that each, so each chapter is like five or six pages, but the the compression of the storytelling is incredible. So it's like one page of like, uh, you know, like set up, like, oh, here's where the story is so far, two or three pages of like action and build up, and then a one page like cliffhanger, and it's like just boom, 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 like chapters like that. And the fact that the artists are able to be that consistent, obviously they have a rotating cast of artists, but a lot of them will, will do sort of like if there's a story that's like four or five chapters long, you'll have one artist usually on all 
five chapters. So there's a visual continuity to a lot of the stories, but that's still a ton of work to churn out, you know? And the fact yeah. that artists maintain a level of quality, like I think Ron Smith's strips are fantastic. Uh, I like the Mike McMahon stuff. They're very different visually, but they all work for the character. But I feel I could do a whole episode on Judge Dredd, but I don't want to bore anybody. So maybe <laughs> down the road, we'll get more in depth on that. So No, no, it's it's it's, it's always <laughs> fascinating to me. Like the people who who spend five years writing and drawing their own masterpiece graphic novel, um, I don't want to take anything away from that. But um, right part of comics that's always fascinated me is is the people having to work under a schedule or you know pulling together all of the different moving parts and whatnot and and getting it done under the deadline and and sort of just seeing what people can do um Mm -hmm. uh when they're uh forced into those situations yeah yeah and and when it works it's it's pretty damn exciting so yeah yeah Cool. Well, uh, that's what we've been reading recently, but there's always new comic books on the horizon. Uh, New books will arrive in your local comic shop this Wednesday, the 18th of September. I want to know what you're excited about this week, Kate. What are you picking up? I'm going to pick up Lady Mechanica Sangra number three. I've talked about the series before. It's by Joe Benitez and Brian Ching, who's a guest artist, but he's very good at kind of doing the same style of artwork that Joe Benitez has been doing for the entire run of Lady Mechanica, which is now something like six arcs. Um, In this particular series, there's this mysterious monster going around killing young men, and Lady Mechanica has to use her detective skills to figure out what's going on and uh, to try to save the young men who are still alive. (laughs) Um, And usually Lady Mechanica arcs kind of stand alone on their own pretty well. They tell their own little stories that kind of ties into like the larger Lady Mechanica story, but you don't really need any context going in. But I suspect this issue is going to start pulling in something from one of the previous arcs. And I'm going to be really interested to see if this this is an arc where it would be really helpful to to know what ha- has happened in the past. Yeah, I think you picked this a uh, couple episodes ago that I was on as well, and uh, it sounds intriguing. It's one of those books I always see that title, and uh, one of these days when I get through everything else, I'll finally have to check it out. Yeah, well, I've got all of it. If you want to, if you want to borrow <laughs> Perfect. it, Perfect. Cool. Uh, what about you, Nick? What are you excited for? Uh, for me, it's going to be Killers number three. Uh, that's written by B. Clay Moore, who is perhaps at least for me and for some of the listeners who have heard me trumpet about it forever. Um, he wrote Savage for Valiant Comics uh, a few years ago. Uh, the penciler is Fernando Dagnino. Uh, colors by Jose Villarubia and letters by Jeff Powell. Um, so recently, I I read the first two issues of this series and. I guess for those of you who are, are, are kind of interested, um, well, I mean, I, I guess the, the one hang-up I want to get to with this book is that the the title Killers is meant to be sort of a pun or a secondary meaning on the fact that it's about characters unlocking their key energy or whatever, mm. K-I. So when it's stylized on the front of the book, it's stylized in such a way that it's very clearly making that, you know joke or whatever you want to say secondary meaning but if you if you type it out in a freaking document or you merely have to talk about it with someone else it's just killers so the meaning is gone so the whole point is 
characters that are unlocking this key energy and like here's the 60 second valiant deep dive that inevitably i have to go down and i'm sorry paul i think it's going to be worse than normal <laughs> okay um <laughs> sorry guys so um we i've talked about ninjack before and then in that was matt kint's run and then in ninja k we discovered that oh it's not ninjack it's ninja k and he's this line of ninja uh characters that have worked for mi6 since uh like world war Two? no world war one um and he's just whatever k is in terms of whatever numbered letter that would be in the alphabet. Um, and in we sort of got to see some of these other agents that came before him in Ninja K. And so that was kind of cool. In Killers, basically follows up on Ninja K and sets it more in the present day and says um, that there's this character going around and finding all of these previous uh agents of of mi6 and um is trying to recruit them because this guy called the jonin uh who taught all of these people all of their skills um including the fact that and this is a clever kind of retcon you're thinking okay this guy was an agent during world war one this guy was an agent like in the 70s like isn't everyone a bona fide senior citizen regardless of whether they were peak performance or not right everyone should be mm-hmm. really old well, he taught them how to, you know, decelerate or slow their aging, amongst other things, of course. You know, a typical mm-hmm. comic book bullshit answer. Yeah. And um, the problem is, uh, whatever he was using to channel this energy to decelerate aging, uh, he needs he needs them to go on a quest for him and uh, find whatever object will allow him to continue to engage in this uh, age deceleration process and they don't really trust him because he's kind of a jerk but he promises them you know the greatest thing you could ever imagine or whatever you know whatever it is i'm sure you've figured it out and i can i can bestow it upon you and um yeah uh so we've got a couple of these uh, uh agents and they're running into each other and having to decide whether they can trust one another or if they're going to go in on it for themselves or things like this um and it it does have an interesting implication for like the broader valiant universe and at least something i'm really interested in which is the fact that i think during matt kint's run and i've talked about this before he's insinuated or intimated that um, some of Colin King, a.k.a. Ninjack, some of his remarkable abilities that seem to push the, the limits of the human body um, are, in fact, due to the fact that he's unlocked this key energy, um, which some of these other characters we've seen, one of them becomes invulnerable, another one can become invisible, uh, but they haven't really touched on, on Ninjack yet, but it's it's been insinuated in the past that he, too, has some sort of unlockable power. We just don't know hmm. what it is. So again, for people like me, you get really excited, and for everyone else, it's like, shut up, please, Nick, just stop, stop, <laughs> stop. We've had enough. Like this is too much. <laughs> so we'll we'll see how that plays out. I'm 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 really excited because I think eventually we're going to get to Ninjak himself in this book. But until then, it's just all these. Um, agents with these weird powers like globe trotting all over the world um 
trying to figure out if they can trust each other enough to go after finding this object. And it's sort of a globetrotting action romp. Visually, Jose's color work is really varied, and it's it's great because based on the variety of settings, based on the uh, variety of characters and the tones and the different sequences sequences we're trying to evoke, um, he's got quite a varied color palette that handles that well. And uh, Fernando's uh, art pulls off violence that's simultaneously stylish, fluid, and brutal at the same time. <laughs> um, I guess the short follow-up here would be uh, for people that are trying to get into Valiant, would you want to go for this? Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) No. No. You would need to read Matt Kent's Ninjak and then Christos Gage's Ninja K um, first. But if you did, you'd probably enjoy this. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, Thanks for the Valiant minute there. Uh, Nick, <laughs> as if only it was a valiant minute yeah <laughs> right right <laughs> it was a valiant effort to make it a minute there we go oh, uh, God. sorry no that uh, was good <laughs> well for me um i'm actually pretty excited this week for a book called the black ghost the first issue drops this wednesday it's a comic scology original book Ooh. um it's i know it's an odd choice for me um <laughs> i was i wasn't gonna say it uh, written by <laughs> Monica Gallagher and Alex Segura, uh, art by George Cambiatis, uh, colors by Ellie Wright. I've really only seen the cover image, um, and it's such a striking image. I follow, follow Alex Segura on Twitter, so he's been tweeting about it. I see this cover image, and it's so striking. It really grabbed my attention. Um, but then I read the description, and it's really intriguing. It's, uh, it's a mix of a sort of detective story and a superhero dynamic. The main character is a journalist named Laura Dominguez, um, who is going to try to track down the true identity of a masked vigilante called the Black Ghost in her small town. And along the way, it sounds like she's going to uncover the the deep-seated corruption of the small town that she's in, as well as battle some of her own demons. So when you're talking... Um, a detective story, maybe some hard-boiled crime stuff. When you're talking superheroes, you're really speaking two languages that I really enjoy. So based on that premise and based on that cover image, I'm willing to gamble my three bucks and try this on Wednesday. I'm actually pretty excited about it. It's gotten a lot of good buzz you know, before they release here. So that's my pick. I wish I had more to say about it, but it's with a picking a new number one by someone I'm not familiar with. It's tough to really uh, describe it, but I think I'm, I think I'm going to enjoy it. Is this like meant to be sort of an all ages book, or is this a more mature? I think it's uh, labeled as a you know eight, seventeen up you know mature title. Okay, okay. So, yeah, I mean, I've never really tried much of the comicsology original stuff, and um, I've always feel guilty about that because I know there's a cr- ton of great creators on there. It just there's only so many, so much time in each day, and there's only so many comics I can read in a day. But yeah. I know you know. Um, Mike is always sort of uh, championing the stuff over there at Comics Algae uh, Original, so I think this is a good introductory book. I've read some Alex Segura stuff. I know he does a lot of prose books that are detective and crime novels, uh, so I think he'd be a good fit for this type of story. So, I don't know. Yeah. That's what I'm excited for. Yeah, it's, it sounds interesting in the sense that I think tonally, CU books, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, this is just my general take, um, CU books have at least tried to skew more upwards of at least trying to be either kid friendly or not really going veering anywhere above PG 13. 
and mm-hmm. I totally get why. Um, yeah. But that's that's interesting that it, it it at least appears that they're going to be putting out something a little more um, adult oriented. Um, yeah. So if if you like this book, you th- you thinking you're going to switch, uh, jump on jump on the CU bandwagon or? Uh... <laughs> well, I mean, that's the the thing is, it always comes down to a premise or a creator that I like. So mm-hmm. you know, I just think it would be behoove me and behoove everyone to kind of expand their horizon a little bit. So making Comicsology original a more frequent destination for when I'm looking for stuff that's coming out, as opposed to something I hear about after the fact. You know, from Mike, so yeah. to speak. So, yeah, I'm being trying to be more proactive with my reading. So, yeah. Well, excellent. So, those are the books we're excited about this upcoming week. Um, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk about, uh, guess what? More comic books. So, stay tuned. We'll be back shortly. Well, for those listeners who haven't heard the good news, um, as I hinted at at the beginning of this episode, Mike Rappin, our intrepid host, recently got married, and most of the RSB podcast crew were there at the wedding. We had a blast last night, um, got to see some faces I don't see very often, and celebrate Mike and Kelly. It was a great time. So we figured, since uh, we're still riding the sort of matrimonial uh, buzz of that evening, to talk about Mike talk about comics, and specifically talk about comics that Mike introduced us to and Mike's enthusiasm for comics and how that's made this show possible. So that's a pretty broad topic, but I think we have a lot to say. Um, so I'm just going to open the floor and uh, maybe we could start by saying, you know, our introduction, our introductions to Mike and the show and comics in general. Yeah, I met Mike through my now husband, Brian. I had heard of Mike before that because he started the comic book club at Grand Valley, the university that some of us went to. Um, But I had kind of... um, I was in charge of the Grand Valley Writers Club, which met at the same time that the Grand Valley Comic Book Club met. So I was never able to join that club, unfortunately. So anyway, so I met... um, I started dating Brian. Brian lived with Mike... And I just want to set the stage. At some point, they had to move into this very small trailer, not <laughs> far from campus, after their their first house together um, got robbed, unfortunately. That's a whole oh. other story. Um, so my husband is is six seven, um, and trailers are are really not that tall, maybe seven <laughs> foot tall ceilings. Yeah. Um, so like walking through doorways and such was like hilarious to watch Brian navigate the small trailer. Um, and I think that they had a third roommate at one point that stayed in almost like a closet sized room. Um, anyway, that's a totally, that's a, again, that's another story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so in their, their small trailer kitchen, they had a, a wire turnstile that you would see at like a gift store where like the gift store has all of their 15 books that they carry in one of these little mm-hmm. turnstiles. And that was full of, of smaller trim-sized comics. And one of these comics, or, or half of the comics on there, were volumes of Runaways um, by Brian Wood. And so I had read a few comics scattered here and there before that, but Mike was like, you have to read this book. So, so I did. 
And then I read the rest of the series. Um, and then I read a bunch more comics. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So that was my introduction. Um, that was really my introduction to comics, um, was through Mike's um, random book in his, his very small trailer kitchen. Um, and then since then, I've realized that Mike and I have a very similar taste in our like cutesy fantasy comics that we like. So because of him, I've read like The Prince and the Dressmaker, Sleepless, Lady Castle, Rat Queens, a bunch of other things that are kind of in the same vein. That's definitely something that um, I've learned doing the show and knowing Mike for as long as I have is that he is uh, a voracious comic book reader and with a huge variety of different uh, tastes, right? There's a, a broad spectrum there that he's read and can recommend. So I think that enthusiasm for comics is pretty contagious. So it's easy to see why you could uh, fall right in that that rabbit hole, so to speak. So um, I guess for my connection to Mike is that... Um, some listeners probably know this, but this podcast sort of spun out of a website that Mike was editing called Destroy, Destroy the Cyborg. And I sort of stumbled upon that website shortly after I started reading comics regularly again. Um, I started reading comics uh, when I was very, very young, up and through high school, then kind of took a break. Came back to it um, in the maybe like 2008, 2009, started reading comics again regularly. And then I was looking through some websites for comic reviews, found Mike's website, and applied to write for it. So I spent a few years working with Mike, um, writing reviews for Destroy the Cyborg, and then eventually turned into doing this podcast. So um, what's most interesting to me is, as I mentioned, Mike's sort of enthusiasm for comics in general and certain comics specifically is very contagious. I've never been an X-Men fan. Um, I watched the cartoon in the 90s when I was a young lad. I tried reading some 90s X-Men stuff, never clicked for me, but Mike's incessant love and undying love for the X-Men convinced me to try some stuff. He told me to read uh, God Love, Man, God Loves, Man Kills, the classic X-Men story by Chris Claremont and Brent Anderson, and I actually really, really liked it um, to the point where I'm now reading the Jonathan Hickman House of X, Powers of Ten series. I've read probably about 50 issues of the classic Chris Claremont and John Byrne stuff from the late 70s, early 80s. I'm slowly becoming an X-Men fan, and I really can only blame Mike for that. So <laughs> It's Mike's fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do have to say that because of Mike, I do have a favorite X-Men, but it's oh. definitely for all of the wrong reasons. Um, <laughs> my favorite X-Men is... Uh, Polaris, which is Magneto's oh. daughter, and I like her yeah. specifically because she can control metal, metal and her hair is green. The thing is, <laughs> I know nothing about her other than that, but she's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I know, I, I I feel like I say this a lot when uh, we're on the show, but um, there's another episode to be had there. Uh, sometime down the road, we'll have a discussion about characters you only like aesthetically yeah. and you know nothing about. So. <laughs> yeah, I could talk about that. For probably longer than I'd like to admit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I think that's the X-Men. There's a lot of interesting, you know, aesthetic designs there that I think are so striking. That's one of the reasons that the book is so popular. But to actually get into it and kind of get to know the characters better, to kind of at this point sympathize with uh, Cyclops is something I never expected to happen as a comic book reader. I'm still not on the Gambit train. I think Mike's going to have to do some harder work to sell that character to me. But um uh, yeah. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, that that that's 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 the bridge too far for, for Paul. <laughs> exactly. exactly. No gambit. 
jeez. Uh, Nick, what do you want to say? Why do you want to praise Mike? Yeah, uh. sure. So, so for me, I, I think I've probably told this story or some variation on it uh, a couple times, but some of those might have been like live episodes or whatever. And um, I, I know everyone just loves to hear this story uh, every time. So uh, let's just do this. Um, so <laughs> um, unlike a lot of people on this show, uh, I actually haven't known Mike that long comparatively. Uh, Xander is actually the one that I've known for quite a long time. Uh, Xander moved from California to Michigan back in the early 2000s. And um, so he and I uh, ended up in high school together. We did Quiz Bowl together. I went off to college. He went off to college. And then uh, after college, um, I was slowly kind of getting back into comics on my own and, and talking about it a bit with Xander and because at that point when I was reading comics, it was mainly just going to Barnes and Noble and like finding a trade of something I enjoyed, but like ideas of canon or continuity or like reading order that didn't click mm-hmm. for me at that point. I was like, Hey, this, uh, Green Lantern book looks kind of neat. And, um, after talking with, 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 uh, Xander a bit, Xander was like, you know, there are comic book shops. There's one near where I live you know, do you want me to pick up some stuff for you? And I was like, yeah, it just surprised me because I don't know what the, how the fuck any of this shit works. And uh, so <laughs> next time I saw Xander, he like gave me a handful of like floppy issues, including I want to say like there's a couple Batman books in there. There was an issue of uh, 13, the you know, the Roman numeral French book, which I really, really love to this day. Um Honest to God, I don't know how they haven't sued sued the Born identity over that. Although technically, I think Robert Ludlum wrote his book first. It's just weird coincidences. Whatever. Regardless. Uh, <laughs> um, so after I'd been sort of reading, uh, and Xander got me into getting a poll and, and going to my shop, he told me that uh, he knew someone who was looking to... Um, he had a website, it was comics and, and, and everything uh, geek adjacent, I guess you could say, uh, destroythesob.org, as Paul mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, you know, I think you would be a good fit. Um, what do you think? And so I said, well, you know, I'll, uh, you know, just have him get, get in contact with me. And, um, you know, it's so funny, I dug up the email, I, I found it, just out of pure curiosity before this show. I found the first email I got from Mike and it's uh it's it's very official it's very it's very professional uh <laughs> that's not to say Mike's not professional now but tonally it's uh <laughs> you know dear sir and madam it's it's right on that level <laughs> sure. and uh <laughs> it's like you know uh thank you for your interest uh we would love it if you would send in some writing samples and then maybe a week after we'll have a five minute Skype meeting with you and, and, and see if we think it's a good fit, which is just hysterical to think about these days. Um, you know, knowing Mike, how yeah. I know Mike now. And, um, so, I mean, we clicked and, and I wrote for, um, destroy the side. And then that as, as again, as Paul said, just sort of naturally evolved into, Mike being like, hey, I tried this podcast thing a while ago, and I think more or less he was like, I didn't really like how it turned out for me, but I think if we did this as a group, it would be a good idea. Mm-hmm. And he recruited Paul and I into 
kicking that off. And, um, you know, we've gone through so many different changes and iterations and, and, you know, picked up so many new, uh, uh, panelists, I guess you would say, and, and things have changed over the years, but that's how things began. And, um, and in terms of like Mike and I, and, and, and how he's shaped my reading, um, at the beginning it was, it was pretty funny because I, I always kind of envision it as like, uh, like two rival kingdoms and each one's like sitting in their castle, you know, peering out and being like, Hey, why don't you come over here? And the other one's like, Hey, Hey, no, no, no. I think it'd be much better if you, why don't you come over here? And, and, um, Mike was very much in his Marvel castle and I was very much entrenched in DC at the time. And, Mm -hmm. uh, there wasn't any, uh, middle ground to be, to be given at that point. And, um, you know, eventually I kind of, I guess you could say I, I swapped out one castle for another, uh, a much smaller, much more obscure <laughs> castle called Valiant, and um, which no one cares about. Uh, and uh, Mike sort of was still very much a, a, a Marvel person, I guess you could say. But I think, I think a lot of both of us uh, expanding our reading horizons came from. <laughs> both of us realizing uh, I wasn't going to really be able to convince Mike to read DC and he wasn't really <laughs> going to be able to convince me to read Marvel. Right. So we were going to have to find the, the Switzerland of comics and, and both meet in a neutral place. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, and I think in, uh, in, in some way that's kind of, um, how things grew. Uh, mm-hmm. Mike, uh, definitely, uh, I'm pretty sure he read Lazarus before me and he, he recommended that book to me and I was like, holy shit, this is like the best thing ever. And that was, that was one of, it still is, still is one of my, my most favorite books. And, um, I think as I like went through reading comics, I sort of had this like hierarchy of like, okay, at first I was just reading random trades and then I was like, oh no, that's not how I'm supposed to read comics. It's supposed to be, you know, ordered volumes, you know, Mm -hmm. with canon and then I did that for a while, and then people were like, "Oh man, you got to get in on floppies. That's how you know that that that's that's how you get in on the know, so to speak." And so I was <laughs> reading floppies, and then yeah. and then um, I was reading certain books, and some of them suggested by Mike, like East of West, and I was like, "What's going on? I'm having a miserable time with this." And uh, <laughs> and so you know, eventually, I was like, "Okay, well, sometimes I need to read books and trade, and sometimes I don't." And I think some of that shifting of shifting away from that like idea of there being like a hierarchy like there's um i don't know what you want to call it like the uh 11 step program to reading comics or something it's like uh you know there's a progression you know i think my experiences with mike sort of um shattered that model in a lot of ways and and said even even sometimes if if both of you are are reading the same book um one of you might actually have a much easier time in trade and and one of you might not. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that sounds stupid, but reading East of West in trade versus reading East, uh, East of West in singles was, was basically night and day for me. Um, right. Totally, totally different experience. So that, that was one of the books that Mike pushed on me for a really, 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 really long time. And I, I think when you're, getting to know someone and and someone's recommending something to you. And, uh, especially in this day and age where like 
your TV doesn't have four stations, so it's like, if I'm not going to watch this, I'm going to watch this. In this day and age where there's just an overabundance of media, uh, when someone recommends something to you, you get cynical and you're like, okay, is this because you really like it or is it because you think it's a good fit for me? I mean, it might right. be both, but yeah. it's probably one or the other. And uh, I think in some ways that's always what I was kind of asking Mike at the beginning, but then as we knew each other longer and longer, it was sort of like, okay, like, I trust you. I'll, I'll, I'll try this book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that even went so far as to actually reading Marvel on occasion. So uh, even for this weekend, again, I, I reread Moon Knight, but it was the right. Jeff Lemire run. So it was kind of like already <laughs> a compromise in a way. <laughs> well, I think that's, you know, that raises an interesting point where I think, um, I think I hinted at it earlier in the episode, but it's, I think it behooves any comic book reader to kind of expand their horizons and try different stuff out. And that's sometimes really tough to do because, you know, as someone that grew up reading DC, I gravitate toward that stuff, you know, and it's, there's, I'm always going to want to read Justice League, whether it's good or not. I'm kind of always going to want to keep up on that, you know, but as I said, like Mike's enthusiasm for comics and doing this show with, you know, variety of people that are on it is really sort of inspired me to push my uh, horizons a little bit. And, uh, I always, when we're recording and I'm doing an episode with Mike, I always have the Comixology uh, website open. I always have Hoopla open. So when he is talking about a book that sounds interesting, I'm searching it as he's talking about it, making a note of it. Uh, the problem is there's so many that I don't always follow up on it, but, but at least I'm curious enough to kind of try track that stuff down. So one book that stands out to me that I he talked about and raved about was Outer Darkness, uh, the image series by John Lehman and Afu Chan. I remember him mentioning that uh, frequently on the podcast. I found it on Hoopla and absolutely loved it. And it's one of those books that makes complete sense for Mike to love because it is a it's a genre jumping book about you know it's a Star Trek type premise where you have you know spaceships traveling across uncharted regions of the galaxy or the universe, but the ships are powered by ancient gods that have no longer been worshipped. So their harness and their energies are used to power their spaceships. It's so off the wall and crazy, yet so engaging. I think that's the kind of stuff that I find Mike recommending and it clicks for me is, uh, you know, big comic book ideas, right? Done in really interesting, innovative ways. So that's the kind of stuff he always recommends. And I always find myself gravitating toward that I would not have otherwise. That makes sense. On the other, on the other hand, you know, uh, there's been plenty of other books he's mentioned that are smaller scale. Books like Gender Queer, which he talked about on the show, and I think Kate mentioned that as well on the show. Uh, Kate uh, Scotchless, but that's a book I checked out because of Mike's enthusiasm for it. And that's a small book. That's a very personal book. It's autobiographical, and it's the opposite of a big spacefaring, you know, pirate adventure like Outer Darkness. But I mean, that's the point we're trying to get here is that. Um, Mike's enthusiasm for comics of all types uh, kind of permeates the culture of the podcast and it makes it what it is in a weird way. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, Paul, mm -hmm. getting on the podcast, did you just come from the website into the podcast pretty much from the start? Uh, yeah. So, I think Destroy the Cyborg ran for a couple years. I was just writing for it um, and uh, that's how I know uh, Nick and Kate Scotchless started writing for the site uh, briefly before it transferred to the podcast. And then the early days of the podcast literally were um, Mike picking me up from my apartment, going to his house, 
us sitting in the basement talking to Nick, you know, over the internet, over a Skype or whatever, and recording together in the basement. And it was very ramshackle. You can find those early episodes. We had no idea really what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and it was uh, an attempt to make a podcast with people who generally loved comics and loved talking about them. But I think Nick uh, hinted at it when he was talking about that initial email. Uh, Mike has, on top of this amazing energy and enthusiasm, a very strong sense of organization and direction. So he's sort of able to wrangle our Wild West randomness of those early episodes into what the show is today. You know what I mean? With a sort of vision and direction. Uh and it's got to be like herding cats to get people of the the you know the difference of personalities on the show to come together and do it. And I think uh, we're all sort of inspired by that type of um, you know leadership, quote unquote, that he has you know to make it pull it off every week. Yeah, I agree. He's got a lot of really great follow through that I can't say that I have. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know. So yeah, yeah. Uh, um, did you know Mike originally from school? Uh, no. No, we, I honestly, I came across the website, Destroy the Cyborg, randomly and saw that he was in Grand Rapids. You know, he listed himself as editor and saw a lot of the writers were in, you know, Grand Rapids. So I just messaged him randomly. Wow. So it, it was all by chance. It was serendipitous how we that met. That is so weird. I, yeah. I guess I thought for the longest time there was some Grand Rapids connection that linked you to Mike. Like no, I somebody think was- or something. I, I didn't know, or at least maybe I forgot that it was just you finding his website. Gosh, that's yeah. so bizarre. It's fate, yeah. Paul. It and is bo- fate. weren't both of you both at Tardy's at that point, too? I think we were both went to the same comic shop you yeah, know, at that point. Exactly. I was shopping at Tardy's at that point. So, yeah. It just, it's funny. It's a small world, but it's turned into a pretty big one, given the size of the show now. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I am on the podcast because I was talking to... I had been listening to the podcast, and I was talking to Brian one time about how... It, um, it was a lot of Image, DC, Marvel, um, Valiant, Dark Horse books. So <laughs> yeah. it wasn't just big two, but it was um, like mainstream stuff. And I'd mm-hmm. been trying to read more like creator owned work or small publisher work. Like that's the kind of thing that I'm that I'm into um, that I that I like to seek out, even though I end up yeah. talking about, you know, some some mainstream books now and then. Um, and Brian was like, well, talk to Mike about it. Maybe maybe he'll want you on the show. And I was like, no, that's never going to happen. <laughs> so I yeah. so I said to I think I I think I mentioned to Mike, hey, you guys should talk, you, you guys should talk about more small press stuff. And he was like, well, you should talk about press, small press stuff. <laughs> and I was like, oh, OK, this is going <laughs> to <Yeah>. happen. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, as I keep saying, there's enthusiasm for all types of comics that really comes through. And it's, it, uh, you know, I thought I had pretty broad taste, but, you know, meeting everyone else in the podcast and especially Mike, I realized like, wow, that guy reads way more comics than I do. And yeah. like, he's tapped into some stuff that uh, I wouldn't know about. So I, I, I really cherish those recommendations, even if it's not a direct recommendation, just him talking about a book, you know, in his pick of the week. Uh, oftentimes inspires me to kind of check it out, you know. So yeah, he reads so many comics; it's it's, <laughs> it's nuts. I mean, like I I have one other like you know um, home improvement project or a craft project or something, and that takes up like my whole week or couple of weeks. In the meantime, yeah. Mike has read like I don't know a hundred comics or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm like, exactly. well, I, 
I found one other thing to do with my time, and now I'm super behind. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I think part of it for me is that Mike is so willing and open to read anything that you put him up to. Um, it mm-hmm. might take him a little while to get there, but I don't know if he's ever really said no. And so yeah. that sort of pushes me too, because in some ways I'm like, well, shit, you know, if Mike is so willing to read this or... You know, if I've convinced Mike to actually dip his toes into reading some DC or, you know, even on, on more rare occasions, uh, getting him to read some Valiant books or, or something like that, it, it I mean, that, that, that pushes you too, because on some level you're like, okay, like if, if, if he's really willing to read all of these things, then on some level I need to try to really be um, more open to the sorts yeah. of things that he's suggesting. Um and I think that's in a lot of ways how I ended up really enjoying Warren Ellis because I can't remember what experience I had with Warren Ellis early, but there was something I read of his that I just didn't enjoy. Um, it might have even have been Global Frequency, but I was way too stupid to appreciate that book at the time. Um, I don't. Mm-hmm. Paul, have you read? Uh, Kate, have you read Global Frequency? Anybody? No, no. this is the first yeah. I'm hearing okay. of it. I think it's a it's a Vertigo book, I think, and it was. Um, it was Warren Ellis, and each one kind of followed a different character that was part of this global team, and each each chapter was done by a different artist, and I think at the time I was too stupid to fully appreciate like the big ideas behind it, yeah. and I was so naive at that point that I didn't understand that there was, like, they were deliberately picking different artists for each chapter to evoke a different tone and everything. I was like, the art keeps changing. This is so stupid. All they had to do was get one guy. They couldn't even they couldn't even convince one guy to stick around for more than one issue. Everybody's just bailing and I hate this book and I don't know what Warren Ellis is trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I I think on some level it wasn't that I didn't like you know, let me let me you know put my glasses on the edge of my nose here and you know and tell you that uh you know I I I do have a degree in English literature, so it's not that I don't appreciate um <laughs> um appreciate uh media's ability to have you know big thoughts and convey big ideas, right? But um and and even with comics, when I was an early reader, I still understood like, oh, Watchmen did this, and people respect it for this, and even people who don't read comics understand that if you read Mouse or if you read Watchmen, mm-hmm. people are going to take you seriously, right? Or at least that's the whole <laughs> perception idea. of it, right? Yeah. And and then when I really started enjoying comics, I think a lot of them, like a lot of my DC books and everything, like on some level, I didn't really think like i really thought that's the capacity of what comics could be and that's not to say that you don't find big ideas and whatnot in in big two books but you don't always have that freedom right to sometimes pursue what you want to pursue and so when mike really got me into warren ellis and really started suggesting a lot of greg rucka's work Mm -hmm. and ed brubaker's work um and jonathan hickman's work uh it really really um, and I realized those are all um, white dudes. I'm sorry. Those are the names that immediately come to mind. And some of the yeah. ones that have clicked with me, I realized for other people, those might not be the names that click for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my um, 
uh, apology, I suppose. Um, <laughs> uh, he really opened my mind to creators with really big ideas, with really fully realized um, worlds and 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 uh, environments, and uh, just really mind expanding stuff. Which now sounds like we did drugs together. We didn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so i mean i yeah. i i, I yeah. thank mike for that like a million times over because uh uh not only did he kind of kickstart for the kickstart that for me but he really pushed me in the direction of seeking some of those things myself and then you know sending some of it back his way so it's uh yeah. time is a circle or something like that i guess i don't know it's a flat circle as they say um yeah. <laughs> i very briefly want to uh just express the amount of uh, joy and um, I, f- I feel knowing that Mike is now reading a Batman on the regular. Like, I feel that's an accomplishment that I did to that's convince insane. Ben Mike to, to yeah. read Batman. So, uh, but again, I think that just speaks to his, you know, uh, his uh, love for comics, his willingness to kind of read anything. Um, and I think the difference between just saying like, oh, I love this and recommending a book is kind of interesting because recommending a book to someone, you have to kind of know their taste, know what's going to click for them. And I think Mike's kind of really good at that, of knowing like what each of us likes to kind of say, I think you'd like this or, you know, this might work for you. And I think that's a kind of skill uh, that you only get from reading a lot of comics and actually being the kind of person that, you know, pays attention to what other people like, which isn't always easy to do, you know? So I think that's the one thing I really appreciate about him. It's not so much him saying, I like this, therefore you should read it. It's like, I think you would like this. And there's a subtle but important difference there, you know? Uh, oh, totally. Yeah. The ability to step into someone else's shoes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I, I agree completely. And as I said before, there's just so much media out there these days that um, like, with some people, you, you you only get like maybe two or three shots to get it wrong before people just write you off, right? <laughs> right. They're like, yeah. okay, yeah. we've played this game. Like, uh-huh. you know, your recommendations are dead to me. Uh, and then thankfully, <laughs> after Mike said that to me, I didn't stop. And um, I kept pushing. <laughs> no, <I'm> just, <laughs> that's probably how it played out. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, we've kind of talked about Mike here for a minute. Do you have any... Um, last uh thoughts before we sort of wrap up i know it's kind of a scattershot thing but i i think we really just wanted to take the uh time on this episode to uh first off congratulate mike on his nuptials and to kind of talk about his role on the show and how it's kind of changed our reading experiences so any any final thoughts there on that before we wrap up um i know that mike has mentioned that his now wife kelly is always very understanding of having to leave his apartment or at least be very very quiet every time that he records Mm. On the mm-hmm. regular, he records much more often than the rest of us because he's on almost yeah. every episode. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, she's always been really supportive um, and really kind to us. Like, she really understands where Mike's enthusiasm is at. And just yeah. shout out to Kelly for being great, too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I second that. One, 100%. I can, I can totally understand, and it would be totally understandable if if uh kelly was like look if you're gonna take two hours out of every sunday of mine on every precious weekend i have like uh that is not happening and (laughs) um if she was a terrible human being uh like myself uh, who is (laughs) self-serving i suppose and (laughs) um 
whatnot, uh, something like that wouldn't float. I don't think this show would survive. Um, right. So I realize that sounds like I'm saying Kelly's not a normal person, which maybe (laughs) I I mean that in a good way, which I realize that phrase also doesn't work well with people. Um, (laughs) Paul, you want to wrap this up? I think I've, yeah, I think we got to go. uh, I think I've done us in. The hole is being dug as we speak. So we got (laughs) to, got to stop. Um, no, but no, really, I think generally we all enjoy, uh, the, the presence Mike brings to the podcast. It wouldn't be here without him. I mean that sincerely. So, um, if you listeners have any books that you read because of Mike's recommendation, please let us know. Uh, I think that'd be really interesting to hear what people have read based on his uh, enthusiasm. So you can follow us and let us know that on Twitter. We're all over there. Nick is at death star plans. Kate is at Kate L fear. I am at Ohio Polly, and the show is at IRCB Podcast. We post comic book news, art we like, there's some sass on there, and a whole bunch of other stuff. We would also love it if you went ahead and subscribed to our Patreon. That's at patreon.com forward slash IRCB Podcast. Without your support, this show wouldn't survive. Uh, If you join, you can get access to exclusive audio, you can get access to exclusive articles, you can get your episodes a full day early. There's so much other stuff that we're putting out there, there's so many special things we got uh, coming uh, coming up, so it's, it's, it's something you want to get in on. It's new content all the time. We also have a Goodreads group. It's a wonderful community of comic friends. We have weekly threads. This week's thread was voting on October's Book of the Month. The theme is nonfiction or memoir genre. Again, check that out at ircbpodcast.com forward slash Goodreads. You can also find our website at rcbpodcast.com where we have a pronunciation guide and merchandise. Please remember to rate and review our show on the podcatcher of your choice. We have over 200 episodes. We should have 200 reviews. Um, email the show with your um, the comics that you have read because of Mike, uh, as well as whatever you've been reading, recipes, corrections, etc. at ircbpodcast at gmail.com. Infinity Shred is, of course, the best band on the planet. They also do the music for our shows, so thank you to them. Xander is a wizard who also edits the show. You all know that. I want to thank Mike for letting me fill in this week and for making the show possible. And I want to thank Nick and Kate for joining me to talk about Mike. <laughs> and I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in once again. Until next time, comics are good, and so are you. Bye.